0: Welcome here to our 21st episode of the K2 podcast. Uh, Today's guest is a really interesting guy. Uh, He's got a very interesting story to tell. Um, But in addition to that, he's perhaps probably the only person who was once arrested by the FBI. Um, Then went on to receive a community service award uh, from the director of the FBI and also went on to write his own book uh, which is titled My Addiction and Recovery and just because you're done with drugs doesn't mean drugs are done with you. Um, So uh, everybody welcome to the show Ed Cressy. Thanks for being here Ed.
1: Ed, Dang, I mean, uh, hi, I'm Ed. Kevin, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here and to talk to you and your amazing audience. Certainly. Well, I appreciate that. That was very kind of you. So
0: uh, the first thing I want to ask you about is the uh, your book, which is titled Just Because uh, You're Done With Drugs Doesn't Mean Drugs Are Done With You. What does that mean exactly?
1: That means that uh, I spent 11 years as a methamphetamine addict, 20 years total addicted to drugs alcohol marijuana cocaine and the final 11 devastating years were to meth what happened at the tail end of those 11 years is i sank into psychosis mm-hmm. you know methamphetamine psychosis which is like uh, paranoid schizophrenia or so i'm told and basically what that means kevin is uh, i would hear disembodied voices and they would be jabbering at me, harassing me, insulting me, threatening to kidnap and torture me to death. No, I would um, I would believe, I would be certain that an FBI conspiracy had targeted me. So I would smash holes in my drywall and rip apart my electronics, looking for hidden surveillance devices. Mm-hmm. So I believed...
0: Well, that's very interesting to me. Could you? How did that all begin exactly? Where did that come from? And could give up a little bit of background about you know what's going on exactly?
1: Yeah, so I think you know you have to go way back into my life. I, I was a kid who was very I didn't I just didn't fit in with all the other kids at school. To me, the world of fantasy was always much more attractive than the real world around me. I was big into reading, loved to read. I would bring on big stacks of books from the library. I was into Dungeons and Dragons, uh, my imagination, really anything of a uh, fantastical nature. That was most appealing to me. That also led to my dream of of writing a book. It was my dream for for much of my life. Mm -hmm. To flash forward, when I got into that methamphetamine psychosis and the FBI, quote-unquote, conspiracy that I believe. Uh, that made my fantasy world my my reality. Mm-hmm. Okay, because this psychosis made the world of conspiracies and being uh, stalked and surveilled and helicopters and planes following me and uh, the FBI trying to pin nine eleven on me. You know that made all this stuff very very real. So I could be sort of at the center of this fantasy world. Now fantasy maybe is not the right term because for me it was terrifying. Mm-hmm. It was Misery, man. I, I wanted to take my life for much of it. I was just filled with rage. I would, uh, I would smash apart, you know, anything glass. In my where I lived was was history, man. You know, I remember taking a 12 volt battery and throwing it at the oven window. You know, the, the window yeah, in the oven. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Throwing those batteries until I smashed the oven window. I had mirrors that, that I would destroy. Uh, I just would rip apart my place because I was so filled with rage. Right. It wasn't until later when I got clean that I realized the rage was directed at me, myself, and I projected it. Sure. But just to circle back to your earlier question, when I got clean off meth in '07, my psychosis, it got a lot better,
0: sure.
1: but it never went away completely. Sure. And, you know, to this very day, even today, I will hear disembodied voices. Now, I've, I believe that they are uh, spirits or angels or... Uh, or good, you know, uh, beneficial beings that are are channeling me, just like anybody, just like a lot of people have, have heard voices. You know, I think one of Martin Luther King's closest advisors would hear voices. Mm-hmm. Joan of Arc, I believe, would hear voices. So, you know, through the, not, I'm not trying to paint, paint a picture of myself as someone special mm-hmm. or, or someone better. It's just, you know, I have this unique uh, kind of attribute that I hear sure. these disembodied voices. And ultimately, I think the message is, That you, the listener, if you're different in some way, if you experience a phenomenon or beliefs or ideas, you know, uh, you can use these to your advantage.
0: Sure.
1: Be a unique, special person. You can bring uh, good and value to the world the way that I've learned to do because so many amazing, incredible people. Uh, helped me right well that makes sense and
0: so just to go back a little bit because i'm very re- very intrigued by the the portion uh, involving the fbi so how yeah. did that come about because i know that you worked uh, at a a, a company uh, which i believe i'm allowed to say is uh Genet- Genet- Gen- how do you say it genantech or yeah Genentech. okay genantech exactly so, i know that you worked there for a while you had a great career um you know you said i believe you were there for about five years or so um Upon leaving, I believe you ultimately separated from the company because they decided to go across country. You didn't want to, you know, go with them in their move. Um, was and then I guess is that when that happened, you went over to Thailand, if I'm not mistaken, to do I guess kickboxing or
1: some form of mixed martial arts. Is that right? In 2000, the year 2000, when I was working for Genentech, you're absolutely right. I went to Thailand. I was training a, a lot of Muay Thai. At the time, which is kickboxing, sure. I went over and trained with some, uh, I spent a brief while training with some professionals there. I wasn't a professional. so For me, it was more like a fantasy camp. Sure. You know, I get to hang out with the American guy overseas and, and train like the pros train. Sure. I While I was at this camp, they, they call it a camp, you know, it's mm-hmm. basically a, a Muay Thai school. Mm-hmm. I, had a, I met a guy who was my friend. He was my roommate. He was a, a Muslim man from France of Middle Eastern descent, okay. just a nice guy. We would hang out, you know, we would take, show me where to buy the knockoff, Ralph Lauren clothes. And we listened to hip hop music. Sure. Uh, later on, my friend uh, turned out to be one of the 9-11 hijackers.
0: So he was an actual hijacker.
1: Well, or so I believed. Okay. So when we, to, to get back to the FBI, the reason, you know, a lot of people believe in FBI conspiracies. Mm-hmm. That, that involved them. Um, I don't know too much about these individuals, except you know, my heart goes out to them in many cases because they, they, sometimes they do some uh, some tragic things, and sure. they, they certainly experience some tragedy as a result of their beliefs. For me, I had a very, very solid reason in my mind why the FBI was targeting me, and it was because of that time I'd spent in Bangkok and how I had close so- association.
0: Not to cut you off there, I just I want to I want to I just want to understand this really correctly. So, what would, how did the FBI become into how did you become hyper focused on the FBI? How did they come into your whole horizon as like okay, I think the FBI's I'm involved with them somehow or they're looking at me? What was the catalyst for that?
1: Yeah, the catalyst was I would start to hear the voices, the disembodied voices, uh, after I graduated from snorting meth to smoking it. Uh-huh. So I started to hear voices. I would hear my father's voice talking to me from from behind the walls in my home. I would start to see people following me, people searching through my trash, people trying to break into my backyard. I would find fit, what I thought were fake articles in the newspaper. Basically, uh, I came to believe that someone was gaslighting me. And if you're not familiar with the term gaslighting, it's like a form. OK, yeah. So for those who aren't. Sorry.
0: No, I, yeah. that makes well, sense. No, I, I, I totally understand. So I think that's, that's, that's really interesting to me. And um, I actually know somebody who dealt with a similar situation as far as a drug-induced um, psychosis. So I'm a little bit like when you describe what you were going through, I see a direct correlation into what they described as well. It's almost identical. So it's kind of interesting to see that um, now – the, theirs wasn't do, do, you, do, you, do you attribute it to the Matthews is that' what put you over the edge? Is that what you think did it for you?
1: Well unless the FBI really was following me and invisible stealth bombers and beaming voices into my head sure <laughs> uh, no, I, understand. You know, I, say, I mean it could be but yeah I, I mean I, I think yeah. so you know Kevin I, I think the thing is, I don't know if I was predisposed to a form of psychosis or schizophrenia uh-huh. but I, I would say regardless of any of that, to your point, the the meth, uh brought it to a place where it was uh, terror and horror sure. and, uh, and misery for me but even more so for the people around me the people my family, my friends who love me. Right. I hurt them as much as if not more so than myself no, that makes- um, you know to get so I, I would start hearing these things and seeing all these things and, and Kevin, I couldn't figure out why right. you know why, why are people stalking me? Why am I hearing these voices? It was later on that uh, I went to the FBI website. I, at the time, I was actually looking for help. Sure. I, I used to go to the FBI offices and say, hey, there's this is conspiracy. People are out to get me. Uh, okay. On this day in 2004, I went to the FBI website, and that's where I saw the picture of my friend from Bangkok. Okay. Now I, I'd seen that picture in the days after 9-11. I had seen the FBI sure. website. But back then, in 2001, I had no reason to believe my friend so- from Bangkok
0: not to cut you off, so is it fair to say that you, so you go to the website, um, you are involved with drugs at this time, you see the photo of this guy, and then you kind of think about, well, hold on, there was a guy following me the other day, and I thought, so you started to piece these things together and connect dots to things that possibly weren't, you know, even connected, but that's, is that kind of, we got the ball rolling, Is would you say?
1: That's a good way to put it. Yeah. I knew, I knew, I quote unquote knew that there was a conspiracy. Uh, I knew I had never done anything you know, wrong or, or illegal other, other than heavy drug use. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I saw that picture of, of my fr- of the person I thought was my friend from Bangkok, uh-huh. identified as a hijacker, then the dots connected for me in my mind. And that, at that time, I thought, oh, now I see now it's the FBI. That's out. Did they ever
0: question then, you on that stuff? Did they ever actually come to you and say, hey, you know, he, he was or was there any ever kind of uh, follow up on your story?
1: Yes. So I, the, the first tip I submitted to the FBI was in 2001. Mm-hmm. I, and I wrote them a little note uh, on the webpage. I said, hey, a guy I knew in Bangkok, he looked a little bit like one of the hijackers. But there, there was no reason for me to suspect, you know, other than that physical resemblance that I had actually known the hijack. But until the conspiracy, the quote-unquote conspiracy, that's when I believed I had reason to think my friend from Bangkok had been one of these hijackers. So to answer your question, I submitted the FBI tips. I just submitted them information. Right. Hey, here's a guy I knew. Here's what he looked like. Here's right. his email address. Then the FBI brought me in for an interview in, uh, I think, 2005. And uh, that's, that was my first, I think, face-to-face direct contact or one of my first direct contacts sure. with the FBI about this friend of mine. Right.
0: Well, I appreciate you kind of going into depth there because um, I've seen some other interviews with you. And that was some of the questions that were going through my mind. So I really thank you for taking the time out to kind of give me that background. And uh, um, it really makes a lot of sense. Um, so moving forward a little bit, um, tell me about you so you you went into the the life of drugs and stuff. how did that come about and I don't want to feel and I hope you don't feel like I'm want to be solely focused on that, but there's people that I think that struggle with drugs It's kind of something that's swept under the rug, something that's not very talked about, even stuff is such as um you know how people get involved with these things because a lot of the times you see it in people of all walks of life. It doesn't matter where you come from. You can go to very rural um, country areas, and it's very prominent, or you can go into the suburbs where people tend to have a little bit more money, and it's sometimes swept under the rug. So, how did your how did you become involved with that? Where did it stem from, and what was your introduction? Well,
1: well, first of all, you're absolutely right. Drug addiction does not discriminate when i was in rehab one of the guys i was in rehab with had been the most valuable player in major league baseball okay another guy i met in rehab had been uh, in the band in a band one of the biggest bands in the entire world i'm certain that if i mentioned the name you would know the band mm-hmm. you would have heard of them so fame fortune money just like you say kevin addiction doesn't discriminate sure. as far as you know the core reasons i think if there's Or the root causes of drug addiction, if we understand one thing about addiction to drugs, the one thing that we might try to really understand and grasp is that for the addicted person like me, drugs are not the problem. Mm -hmm. Drugs are not our problem. Drugs are our attempt at a solution. When we're using, yeah, when we're using drugs addictively, or you could argue when we're doing anything else addictively, whether it's gambling, unhealthy relationships, workaholism, overeating, whatever, we're doing those things because they distract us from our problem. Right. Or because they solve our problem. They make us feel like a person who's able to overcome our problem.
0: Exactly. You know,
1: for, for me, the problem was I hated myself. I was always that bullied kid who escaped into the world of fantasy. My problem was I never pursued my dream of authoring a book. Mm-hmm. Drugs made me feel like that, that person I never had the discipline to be.
0: Sure.
1: Drugs made me feel like someone who could bring value to the world around him, even if that value is being a, a minor league Coke dealer. Or the guy that had the coke or the meth at the party. Mm -hmm. Um, Drugs, the insidious thing about addiction is as a solution, drugs work. They absolutely work for a while. Right. And temporarily. Right. Yet when drugs fail as a solution, they often fail catastrophically. Right.
0: And, you know, one thing that I've noticed about the drug world, I should say, and... um, because I've had friends, I was a, I was a, a young buck <laughs> once upon a time, you know, I've, I've been to parties, I was, you know, high school, college parties, stuff of that nature, and one thing that I've noticed about the drug community, um, and I don't, maybe that's the wrong term to use, but what, what I'm getting at is that when you're describing some of the things that you were going through, I've heard you say that you know you had some issues with bullying. You weren't really accepted in school. You kind of felt out of place, like you know you were kind of uh, the odd man out so to speak. When you get involved in some of these type of groups or cliques that tend to be in, into drugs, that group and community is very accepting of people a lot of the times um, you know like, like they, they tend to be almost it sounds so weird but a community in some ways I've seen it where you know so it, I've not only just to, I'm just trying to add to your point that yes the drugs work but also I feel like the people will kind of try to also make you they work as well in the sense that hey you know what I'm accepted somewhere this is a community I'm a part of this is kind of I get along with these folks you know now granted you're getting probably along over the wrong things, but you you know hopefully you get my drift there and where I'm going with that you know.
1: Kevin, you are you should be the you should be the guest and I should be the host. <laughs> no, this is beautiful. No. You got you hit that nail right on the head. Yes, the community is for, for me. It was you know going to the strip clubs at two o'clock <laughs> on a Tuesday afternoon. Sure. You know it was the lifestyle. It's the sure. community that is a more of an attraction than the than the being high. For me, it was knowing uh, who to call from the payphone and the code words to use. You know, I wanted Joe Montana. Mm-hmm. Joe Montana is a football player who wore number 16. So you sure. use that code word. That they know you want a 16th of an ounce. Yeah. Um, you know, to ride my motorcycle with the San Francisco fog washing uh, into my face, because this was back before the days of motorcycle sure. helmets being the law, with, with that eight ball of Coke in my pocket going right. to some undisclosed location, that made me feel that put, just like you say part of that community and you know I was a, someone
0: as a guy i'm sorry i don't mean and, and, you know I, I keep doing this but you say some really intriguing stuff and and you know it's it's important but it's also you being a writer uh, or a guy that likes to write tell a story and uh, whatever it may be the it that's also a little bit atri- intriguing in a way is like it's a sense of adventure to write those stories and kind of like you know it kind of speaks to your internalness, like, hey, you know, I'm into the adventure, the lifestyle, um, traveling, experiencing different things. Like, you know, it's kind of like a segue into stuff. Um, And I'm not saying that, you know, that those type of uh, desires or wanting to do those things is a bad idea, um, other than the fact that, I guess what I'd like to see is more ways to achieve those things without the uh, drug involvement.
1: That's that's beautiful. And uh, that's always, uh... The, the, the risk is to glorify drug use. You know, on my uh, on my arm, the your uh, audience can see, I got a, uh, a tattoo. This is Hunter S. Thompson. Uh, this is the cover of a book called Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, huh. uh, which is my favorite book growing up. And, um, you know, uh, and this this glorifies the drug lifestyle in the community. To, to me, this is the epitome, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. is the, If you're familiar with the book or even the movie. I haven't
0: heard, Under, heard of it, no.
1: Oh, okay, it's, it was uh, it came out, I, I, the, the events took place in the 70s, I think 1972. But, you, but basically, Hunter Thompson is uh, just a drug-using uh, journalist who goes to Las Vegas and it's, has this incredible adventure. Mm-hmm. Underneath Hunter S. Thompson, I got the word adios, mm-hmm. but I intentionally had to misspell it, right? So you can see adios is spelled wrong. So why wrong. was I did it
0: intentionally that. misspelled?
1: It was intentionally misspelled because my hero... Hunter S. Thompson, the absolute pinnacle of what I thought was the drug lifestyle that nobody could surpass. Uh Hunter S. Thompson, my hero, put a shotgun in his mouth, pulled the trigger, blasted his head off when he was I I forget how old he was. That's that's where my hero's choices led him. Now, nothing against Hunter S. Thompson, because he was an incredible contributor to uh, journalism, politics and, and the social movements through uh, the course of his career sure. but basically you know adios is the if you look at a typewriter keyboard the i and the o are right next right. to each other so it's hunter s thompson being kind of too gone on drugs to, to write his farewell his farewell note he spells it wrong because sure. he's so twisted That's interesting. And to well, me there's a guy yeah. in
0: the chat right now um who also had a question uh did you ever feel like you had to be high to right kind of like charles bukowski
1: Yes. Yeah, that's uh, it's a beautiful question. Thanks for putting that forth. Yeah. What, one thing when I quit drugs is uh, that was a concern. Can I, can I do it without the meth? Can I do it without the marijuana to spark the creativity? Sure. The answer for me is absolutely yes. I was able to write in a far more pure and meaningful way, and by, by that I mean not in the, within the context of, of literature right. or anything like that. I meant for, for myself. I was able to express myself. I was able to develop discipline. Hmm. My discipline doesn't come at the end of a meth pipe. Right. My, my discipline doesn't come at the end of a, a $20 bill rolled up sure. with, with snorting a line or, or smoking a do. And, and nothing, you know, not to pass judgment on others, because, sure. you know, however anybody chooses to lead her or his life, absolutely if done in a responsible way i support that sure. but for me i was never really to apply discipline i was never uh, able to free myself creatively i was never able to put down uh, on wor- to, to put down in words what i wanted to express to the world around me right. that was that's the, the key to getting me to achieve my dream right. writing a book well, that's
0: amazing, and uh, and we're and I want to get to your book here uh, um, a little bit later on. Um, but before we do that, I, I'll kind of want to talk about the when you're coming back from Thailand because you went over to Thailand, you did the whole kickboxing or Muay Thai uh, deal, and you come back into the United States. What would what? Did you did the trip just end and you were just done and you come back then and if I'm not mistaken that's when the heavy meth use began was when you came back into the United States you, you know your plane landed and you said I began to use every day did the meth use start in Thailand and then when you came back you found that you were craving it or what how did you where, where did you, where did it get going when when you got involved into that where did how did that happen coming back
1: yeah, I never did. A, uh, I never set out did a line of meth intending to sink into meth psychosis. I started getting. I started using meth regularly in '96 mm-hmm. because the cocaine was too hard on me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as ridiculous as that sounds, mm-hmm. I was doing so much coke that it was just really messing with me. And I thought, well, meth I could do less of it, spend less money, whatever. To answer your question, what I achieve is a balance in life, mm-hmm. or, or not a balance, but more of a seesaw. Mm-hmm. And over here, I had things like my career, mm-hmm. my home, and my relationships, and my motorcycle, uh, my fitness—you know, my my kickboxing, my competitive uh, kick kickboxing. But you know, Kevin, I was using these things more as a facade. I was trying to project an image to the world and to myself that I was not an addicted person. Mm-hmm. And this is a common thing, you know. We say, "Well, hey, I got this career, I got this home, this motorcycle, I'm kickboxing." This is not what addicted people do. Sure. Therefore, I must not be addicted. Right. And on the other side of the seesaw, I had my binge using methamphetamine. Every Saturday morning, I would go from the kickboxing gym straight to my buddy's house. We would snort meth, drink Budweiser 40 ounces. I don't know if we were drink 40 Tall Boys. Whatever. Yeah. I, I smoked, yeah, smoked bong hits and, uh, and Marlboro cigarettes until, you know, Sunday night. Jeez. So over here, the career, the home, the rest the binge something had to give man it was just too hard and because all this stuff because the career and the motorcycle nothing wrong with any of it but because i was using it not to fulfill my dream but rather to create a facade all of that went away when i say went away it doesn't mean you know i I stopped caring about my home i lost my home right i lost my or better I, i threw them away i threw away my career i threw away my life savings I threw away my kickboxing career. I threw away my beloved dog. You know, I threw away all my relationships. I was lucky to get most of them back. But, you know, those things, uh, the things that we that we use as the, the, the illusion that drugs give us as, as a solution. You know, when we hold on for the two, those drugs, they'll work as a solution. But you know, again, when they fail, they often fail catastrophically. Sure. That's where my life, That's what happened so, to me. So I've heard
0: you talk in the past. So moving on from that a little bit, the transition. You then came back. You battle with this drugs. It's cost you. You know, you you were forced to choose between your house, you and your your job, and all of these things. Losing your poor dog and you go on and you you begin to live your life and then you talk about something which you call an aha moment something that you decided that you know it was a it was a pivotal point for you where you decided hey this is where i'm going to get clean can you tell us a little bit about that leading up to you know you decide and wanting to get clean and starting to get involved in your community. I know that you go on to said that you became a self-defense instructor. You started to volunteer with the uh, certain communities. And then, like I said earlier, upon the intro of the show, you later on went and got an award from the FBI. So can you kind of go into a little bit of that transition and what that started to look like and, and what your involvements were? You know, well, it was
1: 2007, I had long since thrown away my home and my career, like I was saying. Uh, I lived in this flophouse hotel. There was a little sink in the corner of my hotel room where I would ash my cigarettes, wash my clothes, and urinate. I hadn't showered or brushed my teeth in months. I'd spent time in jail. I'd spent nights in homeless shelters. Uh, years, to this point, i have been four and a half years deep in that psychosis, the disembodied voices and the rest sure. of it. On that, it was October 2007. I the, the only clothes I, I had two kind of outfits. My my daytime outfit was a filthy black jacket, Converse shoes held together with duct tape, filthy black slacks. That was what I wore around the daytime. At nighttime, I wore a tuxedo. I okay. had <laughs> a filthy tuxedo because I worked at the strip clubs. But the okay. strip clubs the strip clubs fired me for good reason, <laughs> and then they never let me back. So I was shambling around San Francisco in my filthy tuxedo on that October night. I found my way to a swank downtown hotel, went into that hotel, you know, shambled into the hotel, trying to blend in, Uh wearing my tuxedo. I went to the bar. Someone had sat down. I waited for someone to sit down a half-finished drink. I picked up the drink when I thought he wasn't looking and knocked it back. I I wound uh, through the corridors to this ballroom. So there's a hotel ballroom. I'm standing at the threshold of the ballroom inside a wedding reception is taking place.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm thinking I'm going to crash, you know, maybe they'll mistake me for a groomsman because <laughs> sure. of the tux or something. think, you know, I want something to eat. I want, I want something to, I want to, to drink. As I'm standing there at that hotel ballroom, something inside of me uh, realizes or, or something resonates, something clicks. I realized that in the previous years leading up to that night in 2007, there had been five weddings of people close to me, Mm -hmm. very close to me. Ten of my closest friends had gotten married. One couple had asked me to be their best man. Mm -hmm. And Kevin, out of those five weddings, do you know how many I showed up to? How many? Zero. Not one, man. And on, on that October night in 2007, it, it occurred to me, you know, I never sit out, I sit out using meth and coke and the rest of it to have a good time. I never intended to get to a point where I let 10 of my closest friends down on the greatest day of their life. Right. You know, I, I never, and that's just, this is one of the many, many things I did to, to hurt people, to hurt myself, and to let people down. That was where my road got me. I never, when I was in college getting drunk, I uh, smoking a dube, doing some coke never did I figure that 20 years later I would be where I was but that's that's where well, I ended it goes up
0: back to your, it goes back to your original point earlier about how, how <laughs> sometimes like the drugs covers your emotions it's an escape from reality you, you can feel terrible about it and then you know you say you know what I'm gonna go do some drugs to escape that reality of oh I just missed my friend's wedding you don't have to think about it you're just like I can just get out of there you know and you just it's so easy to just you crutch crutch yourself on those drugs so uh that's 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 very interesting to hear you say that so you 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 have this uh, epiphany if you will um you kind of say you know what this isn't for me anymore you know you finally i guess kind of snap out of it maybe um go on a little bit more and kind of explain what what was your initial steps because i think somebody that may be watching this could try for themselves say they they maybe don't know where that first step is where do I go how do I get out of this because sometimes I think that's another issue with people who may be struggling with drugs I've seen it a a lot of times with other people that you know they're dealing with it but sometimes they just don't know where to start so they just continue in that cycle because they just don't know where that hand is you know or someone reaching out to them to give them some help or they just don't know where to begin that journey of getting clean I mean you always hear about resources and you hear about things and like you can go here and you can do that and like you know people tend to I guess ostracize these people like there's so many resources out there to get help there's no excuse not to get help and part of me wants to agree with that but I think it's that initial step it's like where how do they get the ball rolling how do you get out of that and what how did you get involved to say you know I'm gonna get clean what was your steps
1: that you took yeah, well, well, again, it's a, it's a beautiful question to ask. And again, we've got to remember, drugs are not our problem. Right. Drugs are our attempt at a solution. Certainly. So our mindset has got to be, how am I going to find a new solution? Okay, not how am I going to quit drugs? Yeah, that's that's one thing we got to do. Sure. But our mindset's got to be, what's my new solution? For many of us, spirituality. Spirituality is a beautiful solution. It doesn't necessarily mean religion. Nothing against religion. I'm, I'm part of a faith-based community myself. It's, sure. um, it's an amazing thing. It's, it's my thing. But for that's a lot of how, us... That's my... That's just to add
0: to your point there. That's certainly uh, one I would advocate for. So, so I certainly agree with
1: you on that. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Great. I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that. So, you know, think about what's this... Just think... Just start considering what the spiritual might mean to you. And we... One way we define spiritual is that which is non-material. Mm-hmm. So things that are material are houses, money, cars, motorcycles. And as you saw with my life, usually things of a material nature, we we throw away when we're as sunk into addiction as I am. Mm -hmm. So we have nothing left but the spiritual. So uh, there's a saying, faith can move mountains, but you best bring a shovel. (laughs) Right? Right. So we got to have that faith. But then, you you know, at least for me, Kevin, and the others I've seen have inspired me, it's a matter of very hard work. It ain't gonna change tomorrow, man. I mean, you you're not you're gonna see incremental progress, but you if you're like me, you spent uh, for me, I spent two decades destroying my life through addiction, through my poor choices. That's not gonna turn around next week, right? Or next month, or a year from now. There's, things are gonna get better and better, slowly. Or, uh, slow, you know, they're gonna get better, but just put, set yourself in for. Uh, so, you know, keep, get your mind squared away for the long haul it doesn't mean a long haul of misery doesn't mean a long haul of, of, of nightmarish uh i mean there will be times like that that you need to persevere through but for me i went to 12-step meetings twice a day three four five times a day when i was getting started i did a meeting every day for 90 days a 12-step meeting that is i got a job at a, a christmas tree lock Okay, I'd worked at Genentech, like you said, Genentech was the best company in America to work for, according to Fortune magazine. Mm -hmm. They treated me very well. Yet here I am lugging Christmas trees and and, and tying them down with twine on tops of people's cars. But that's what I had to do if I was going to get back. Uh, I pursued. I got a lot of mentors. I approached people. I asked them to help me. I looked at what people were doing who got to places where I wanted to get meaning they had escaped their own addiction to lead beautiful lives. I I sought them out. i listened to what they had to say. Not a hundred percent of what I heard made sense to me, but that's okay. Yeah. No, I I listened, I listened, I listened and and I took what was meaningful to me and applied that. I meditated. Meditation was such an important part. And today, even today remains an incredible part of my ongoing meaningful life. Being able to lead that meaningful life, meditation, fitness, Nutrition, um, just a lot of hard work. You know, they say that it doesn't matter what your plan is as long as it's not your own. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. So we, you know, we when we it helps for us to accept the fact that our own best decisions guide us to places like the threshold of a hotel ballroom and a filthy tuxedo. Right. Those are my best decisions. I needed to push my ego aside and think, well, maybe these people the 12 steps have some ideas that are better than mine. Maybe the, uh, maybe the person at the faith based community has an idea that's better than mine. Sure. doesn't mean she or he is a better person. It just means, you know, I got to yeah. listen more. Absolutely. I got to work harder.
0: I, I agree with you on that. And especially because like you said, you know, you've, You've been doing things, quote unquote, your way, and it had nothing's changed. You get know what I'm saying? What you know? You nothing's changed. So you might, why not give something else, a, you know, a chance? Um, so I yep. think that's important. Now, was there a specific? person in your life that was able to that was there a conversation cuz i just want to hit on that a little bit uh, a little again a little bit um, was there a person that came to you and said hey ed this is let's let's go get you clean or did you seek it out and did you say i'm just going to go to um, like what was that initial step like what was that one that where you went and like where did you go who did you talk to when you had that aha uh-huh moment and you said i'm going to get out of this where, where, where did you go? Who did you rely
1: on? Twelve steps, AA. A- you know the one thing about AA is they're great at saving lives. You see a lot of people walk into AA one foot in the grave and sure. one foot in an AA meeting. And AA is a- not perfect, sure. by no means, but they're good at saving lives. I would say uh, there was an entity, which is law enforcement. The people that of all the help I received, some of the most meaningful has come from persons in law enforcement. It does come from persons in law enforcement. There's just something about the relationship between a law enforcement person and a person uh, overcoming something like alcoholism or addiction. So I I, I found when I reached out to people in an honest, forthright manner, people who were in law enforcement, something about them, something about that ability to form a connection. Uh, And there were two people who come to mind, Joe, and Erica Aliodo. These were two people who they, uh, Joe at the time, Joe, Joe's uh, grandfather had been the mayor of San Francisco.
0: Okay.
1: And uh, his wife, Erica, is this amazing woman who was a senior manager at one of the big tech companies. Oh. They were having their first child. Joe was running for office in San Francisco. I mean, They had so much going on, yet they took me in. They saw something in me. They made me a part of their family. Well, they instilled weird. a belief in me that I didn't have in myself, you know. And my part was, uh, I was honest with them. I uh, I gave to them, meaning you know, I, I gave of myself. I, I didn't give them, you know, things. Mm-hmm. I gave of myself. Right. I uh, I applied myself. I was forthcoming about my past. Right. I uh, I, ex- I listened to them. You know, when I put myself out there, Joe and Erica Alioto were just uh, two incredible people who gave me the family that, that I had pushed away, sure. meaning my family I pushed away, and they helped me build my life. They they painted a vision of my future that, that I couldn't see, and they made it real to me until I could live that vision. They sure. they held me up until I was able to walk on my own two feet again. There are many other people, too, uh, but Joe and Eric Aliotto, th- those are two people who I most have to thank for showing me that there was a, an ed... There was a future Ed when I didn't right. believe that, you know, all I knew was the Ed of the past, the, sure. the Ed I didn't like. You know, they, they showed me a path to a new way of community service, sure. uh, especially. So yeah. how,
0: tell me a little bit about your community service involvement. Um, you know, what made you, I, I'm, I'm get, assuming they had a big role in that, but also how'd you get involved with, you um, Because I'm leading up to you receiving the award from the director of the FBI. So tell me a little bit about that journey and leading up to that and how that came to be.
1: Absolutely. Again, the challenge is not to quit drugs. The challenge is to lead a meaningful life. Mm -hmm. That's what we're after. One important way for me to lead that meaningful life was through community service. And because I had all this paranoia around law enforcement, something compelled me to face my fear by serving my communities uh, through law enforcement meaning volunteering for law enforcement i started that path with the fire department i became a volunteer first responder i took a lot i earned an emt certification and became uh went on a lot of ride-alongs with paramedics in the fire department i took a lot of disaster preparedness training from there i was on a parallel track and this this took years and years my parallel track was i became a krav maga instructor Krav Maga, for those who don't know, it looks like martial arts, if you observe it. It's really uh, more of self-defense. And I, I applied uh, what I learned in kickboxing and elsewhere to the study of Krav Maga. Eventually, I became a Krav Maga instructor. So here I am, volunteer first responder, other forms of community service. Same time, I'm uh, doing this Krav Maga. At the same time, I'm still grappling with these paranoid fears of the FBI. Mm. I still think that they're trying to pin 9-11 on me. I still think, oh man, I was supposed to be—I uh, was supposed to have been an undercover FBI operative, and all the conspiracy was a form of training. And I blew it. Okay, I'm still having these well, types
0: and, of ideas. And, and just to—and I'm—and forgive me here. You don't have to answer this if you don't want to. But if you were an undercover operative for the FBI, is that something that you would be able to disclose? And I'm not asking you, but like, I'm—I'm I'm, I'm asking that because there it, it's. I had uh, there was another instance uh, of of somebody who I was speaking with uh, who had us like I said a similar story to yours and he lost a lot of friends um, that believed that he was somehow working with the FBI and that you know he was labeled a snitch and nobody wanted to talk with him. Did you deal with any of that or is that something that you didn't care about and? Did, were, it, were there any involvements, like what was your total involvement with the FBI? Did you work with them closely or was it more of just a learning experience for you? What, what, what's your total involvement there?
1: So if, if you're asking whether I was ever an informant or an undercover, no. Okay. I, I've never in my life been on the FBI's payroll um, I, I probably would have been if, if the are opportunity to, to present be, itself. Would you be able to
0: disclose that if you were? I wonder if that's something that that's. If they
1: are, yeah, I don't know. That's a good point. That. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that I would be. Yeah, <laughs> no, 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 so, I mean, people have. You, you have a, uh, you know, the, the um, Joe Pistone. Uh, I might be mispronouncing his name. The guy that. Johnny Depp played him in the oh, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah the mob. Yeah. So, yeah. but you know, maybe, maybe uh, if it were true, then like, <laughs> but that's that's all hypothetical. Uh, sure. The point is, you know, my my involvement came when I, I realized, you know, if I was going to get over this paranoia of the FBI, years after I quit meth, I, I was really going to have to face my fears. One of my Krav Maga students happened to be an FBI SWAT team agent. I made it known to him. I wanted to volunteer for the FBI, as I had done to the fire department. Uh, he was kind enough to get me to, 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 um, to arrange for me to train an unarmed self-defense session for some of the SWAT team guys oh. on the FBI. So here it's so ironic because the, the very people I've been so afraid of, I mean, if they were going to come and, and kick down my door and rappel uh, down the side of my building from helicopters, it would have been the FBI SWAT sure. team. Right, <laughs> so here I am. I'm training them in self defense, and these were just uh, an amazing group of people. They treated me so well. They uh, they appreciated my volunteer efforts for the SWAT team. They nominated me to a selective. Uh, it's called the, citizen, the FBI Citizens Academy. I've heard of it. I, I'm yeah. Oh, you've heard of it. Yeah. Oh, I'm so grateful. Yeah, no, it, no, I'm my so mom, grateful.
0: my mom actually, if I'm not mistaken, was a part of that. To believe it. Nice. Enough. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm not sure if I, I'm not sure if she actually. I know she, I'm not sure if she got accepted, or I might have to ask her on that, but I'm not sure if she actually got accepted and did it, but I think she did. I'm almost certain, but I was so young at the time. Um, she kind of grew up with a passion for law enforcement, went to school for criminal justice with like a concentration in forensic science. It was something that she was passionate about, um, so uh, ultimately she went to school for it, got a degree, and I think she went to the Citizens Academy as well, so that's pretty interesting.
1: Oh, cool. Yeah, that's a, that's a coincidence. Well, I hope she had a good experience. I know mine was a wonderful experience. I'm so grateful to the FBI. They gave me a chance. They knew all about my past. They knew I'd been arrested for a felony. They knew I'd been convicted of uh, firearms, misdemeanors. They certainly knew about all the, the weird stuff I had sent them, you know, the, the letters I would send them about conspiracies. Yet the FBI, so much to their credit, gave me a chance. And a lot of the reason the FBI gave me a chance or at least some of the reasons because I had started working in criminal justice reform. Okay. I began, I'd been volunteering uh, and working for an organization that delivers entrepreneur and employment training to currently and formerly incarcerated persons. Okay. The FBI, so much of their credit, really supported that work. They brought me into the Citizens Academy. From there, they gave me opportunities to speak at events. Uh, the, I didn't realize this, but the FBI does a lot of work uh, raising awareness around opioid addiction interesting. and other forms How of addiction. Yeah, that's
0: interesting. That's great. I didn't know. So um, you know, I, I kind of want to get your take on a little bit something that's. I wouldn't say it's off topic, but it's a little. I'm mean, hearing so much great things about you know your involvement with law enforcement, the Um uh, but I heard you say in the past that you were treated. You felt you were. Maybe you'll have to correct me or clarify exactly what I'm saying. But if there was something along the line like you were treated unfairly by the guy who arrested you, but ultimately you had built some kind of relationship with him afterwards and realized that maybe that
1: wasn't the case, um, can you clarify that a little bit? Does that make sense? It. it if uh, I was arrested several times, so uh, you know, once the uh, the cops stripped me naked. Oh man. They. Threw me in a padded cell for 24-hour observation. I, I was very resentful towards those police. Makes- I wanted to sue. Yeah, well, I wanted to sue the police department. Thanks, in large part, to persons in law enforcement, and thanks to our sisters and brothers who were incarcerated or are incarcerated, who inspired me by through their life's transformations. I arrived at a point where I am grateful to those cops who stripped me naked. Right. You know, they were looking after my safety. If I had gone into GP, to the general population, talking about how I was an undercover FBI operative, you wouldn't have lasted. That, I, wouldn't, I
0: wouldn't have been
1: yeah, there for anybody. So I'm not only am I able to, to take myself away from a place of wanting to sue the cops or speak negatively of the cops, now I'm in a place where I'm serving law enforcement, right. insofar as law enforcement. Uh, Helps people like me transform their lives. You know, in no way do we intend a blanket endorsement of all acts that have been committed in the name of law enforcement. Right. Because we we know there are some tragic things, many tragic things that have been done in the name of policing. Right. But what I focus on is the good law enforcement well, does I'm and there's a lot like you say
0: that and that's something that i'm certainly an advocate of as well um, because i do feel that there, with the current climate of what the world or especially the united states is going through today with law enforcement it breaks my heart a little bit because um, i've seen the statement like uh a i'm not sure if you're familiar with that a c a b stands for all cops oh. are the b word um, and that's kind of like what you're referring to as then that whole blanket statement um, I would believe that 99.9% are probably good, genuine people. I know some people in law enforcement. Um, my mother, like I told you, she was wanted to work in law enforcement as well. She doesn't do that. Um, she ultimately, for whatever reason, she got a degree um, in all of this stuff and ended up working in a total different field, as many, I think, college graduates typically go through where you get a degree and they go work in some other field, um, but... You know, it's just kind of uh, interesting to see how, is there anything that you could say to maybe, and and you and maybe you and you don't have to answer this, so I hope you don't feel pressured to, but is there anything that you could say or would want to say to the people that are, are believing that all cops are these just, like you just see this stuff going on about defunding the police and all of this, is there anything that you can think of to like, or Maybe I'm not wording it properly, but is there something that comes to mind, or anything that you could say about that to kind of, or what you believe is happening with the police right now?
1: P- police officers are human beings, just like you and I. Certainly. They do some. Of, some of them do great things. They they make mistakes like we make mistakes. They uh their their lives are at risk uh, every day. Um they. You know, it's a challenging question for me to answer because I, I feel like sometimes I'm coming across as if I'm defending actions right. that and are no, defense. And,
0: and I want to make that clear as well. There, like you said, there's some instances where you see that there's a clearly an issue there. There's clearly a problem there. You know, and yeah. but I like to judge those on the individual basis. You know, um, but you know we don't have to go too deep on that subject. But I just kind of wanted to hear about it a little bit because you know, just by me knowing uh, uh, some people in law enforcement, they're good people. A lot of times with family and children, and you know, they they don't they would they they got into that position to help people and offer a lending hand and kind of. Um, not only you know uphold the law but they they wanted to provide a change and a difference in their community and I think that's why most police officers get involved um but I do agree with you uh, to some extent that uh, or maybe maybe you can shed some light on this is the the reform of the police. You know, I think there is something like where you got involved, where you saying it was uh, you got into self defense training. Some of these guys in the FBI, and I think there needs to be more of that, where these guys are given a little bit more training. People like yourself to get involved and get more uh, connected with the community to offer some better solutions when these police officers interact with the, the community. Because I think sometimes they feel so in fear they're so worried about how they're perceived through someone's eyes and it kind of creates this standoffish type of uh um feeling in the air you know what i mean so it's like people like yourself to get out there and train them and that type of stuff i'd like to see a little bit more of that like you know i'm because i'm not on board with the whole defund the police uh portion but i am on board with reforming and kind of offering more training to these officers, oftener, more resources, not in the sense of, you know, giving them more weapons or thing. I think they have all the things, tools that they need, but um, just more community involvement is what I think would be beneficial.
1: Yeah, and you know, what I said before about uh, cops putting their lives uh, at risk every day, what, what I think, what's important to remember about that is when we see people at a human to human level When we look past uniforms, whether it's a uniform of a police officer or a uniform of someone who is in prison, when we understand that behind bars and behind badges beat the hearts of human beings, meaning when we can take individuals from polarized groups and in our society, you don't get groups much more polarized than persons affected by incarceration and by police officers. So when we can find common ground between right. human beings from those two groups, we can often take that little bit of common ground and expand it over our uh, society Certainly. and over community. So I think to get back to your earlier question, you know, think of a, think of a fortress, you know, a giant fortress, and it's a fortress of good. It's a fortress, a fortress of, uh, of, of justice. It's a fortress of, uh, of safety, making our streets safer, our children's futures brighter. Mm-hmm. That fortress is built of stones or of bricks. And each stone and each brick is a human-to-human interaction. It's not a cop-to-criminal interaction. It's not a police officer to a, a, an alleged traffic violation interaction. It's a human-to-human interaction. It's a conversation. It's a scene what makes us similar versus what makes us different. Right. And when we get those little conversations, one brick, one stone does not a fortress make. But when we start having these conversations... When we say, you know, hey, you're a police officer, I'm I'm Meg Cressy, the the guy who was addicted to drugs for twenty years. Yeah. But when we can sit down and find what bonds us, what we have in common, and probably at our core we want the same thing. Yeah. We want safer streets. That's we want impressive. brighter futures for our kids. We, no, we, that, then we take I don't know, I think I don't mean
0: to cut you off, I was just thinking, I think that's a great I mean that's very powerful because somebody like yourself from uh... in you know we won't elaborate on this too much longer but i was just thinking to myself you know as somebody like yourself you know being that you were involved with the drugs you had dealt with you know uh... a a rough patch in your life that you know you struggle with, but that's not who you want to be identified as. There's more to you past that. There's something more there. And you could say the same for police officers when you see they have a uniform there, but there's something past that. So I think if everybody can get past those things and kind of like look at people for more than, oh, they're, they're, they're a police officer. They write them off. Or that's a, drug, uh, a drug, uh, drug head. Let's just write them off. Or this guy's a homeless man. Let's just write them off. And you go down the whole list, if people can... St- trying to get away from that and start looking at each other as human beings like you say i think that's going to go a long way i think that's going to be very important um but to move on a little bit um I want to talk a little bit here about your book before we wrap up and uh, get going. Could you tell us a little bit about your book? Because um, I do have it. Uh, anybody who's interested, I have it in the link uh, in the description of this video. Um, if you scroll down to the description, I have the Amazon link to pick up a copies of Ed's book. I also have Ed's uh, website there. His uh, If you can see just below Ed's picture there, um, I have his website. It's www.EdCressy.com. And then um, also, if I'm not mistaken, and Ed, you can stop me here and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I linked your iCloud email address because if I'm not mistaken, you're willing to give like a free 30-minute coaching session at no charge to people that reach out to you. Is that correct?
1: You know, I, I, was, I don't do free sessions anymore, but I do a sliding scale. So you just pay what, pay what you can. If you can't pay anything that does not exclude you, I'm I'm here to help you. That's So you're you're more than I think. That's reasonable. Yeah. Well,
0: I did put your email down there for anybody interested to talk with Ed, kind of get a little bit more information on that. He does offer some coaching, but let's talk about your book a little bit um, because it's I haven't got to read it to, uh, yet, but I'm excited to look at it and kind of. Um, because I've heard a lot of great things about other people who have read your book. I've, Like I said, I've watched videos and other podcasts with you. And some I've watched the video of with Defy uh, uh, Ventures video where your book launch came out. And those fellows that you were on with seemed really happy about your book. And they complimented your writing style. And um, they had a lot of positive things to say. So I was definitely intrigued by it. Um, could you tell us a little bit
1: about it? I'm happy to thank you for the opportunity it goes back to your earlier question about what would I say to somebody asking about police and uh, law enforcement, you know, no one had more reason to fear and mistrust law enforcement than I did. Mm -hmm. No one. I mean, people might've had as much reason, but Kevin, I was certain that the FBI was using every resource at their disposal to do me in. And it was all, it was, you know, methamphetamine, psychosis, But I was certain of that. So readers get a clear picture from my book of just how much reason I had given myself to mistrust law enforcement. Readers get a clear picture of how a person can sink so deep into drug addiction that that it's almost unfathomable. When you you or your listeners, when you're walking down the street and you see a person who's so far gone in addiction that he or she is having screaming matches with people who ain't even there, toting a loaded 357 pistol with protection against phantom enemies. When you see that person, you probably ask yourself, how does this happen?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You ask yourself how it happened, and you ask yourself, is there any hope? My book gives you an answer to both questions. That's awesome. You see, you know, you see how it is that a, a person with opportunities and advantages can sink to that level of addiction, and you also see that hope is possible. And then recovery and transformation is possible. And you see, to get back to your other question, that as, as much in the fear and mistrust of law enforcement a person can be, you can we can still bridge those gaps and we can still make our society better by unifying cops and communities affected by incarceration.
0: Yeah, I think that's important. And you've touched on this before a little bit, but I think facing the fear um, is a very important part. Like you said, you know, you, you had this – uh, terrible run-ins with the law enforcement, you felt like you know the FBI is out to get you, you had all these things, but you said, you know what, I'm going to go speak to these guys, I'm going to go and talk to these people, and not yell, scream, or get belligerent, or whatever, That you're, you're going to talk to them like a human being, try to at least put in an effort to understand where they're coming from, and try to get inside of that mind, I think that's very great. You know, you don't hear that a lot. So I commend you for that. And I think that's very special. So I'm glad to hear um, that and hear a little bit more about your book. Is there anything else that you would want to say about this? Because like I said, I've heard so much positive stuff about it. Like I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, but is there anything else that you can provide for us or anything else you'd want to tell us uh, about your book?
1: We've donated uh, 175 copies to men incarcerated in Pelican Bay State Prison. This is one of the most notorious state prisons in California. These men are transforming their lives through programs of entrepreneurism and employment and personal development. We're about to donate another 125 copies in another prison. So for you, uh, for your listeners, if you shoot me an email and you uh, send me a proof of purchase uh, of your book, of my book, a receipt, on your behalf, we will donate one copy to an incarcerated person who's turning her life around or his life around. That's amazing. So, for listeners, of, thank you. Listeners of the K2 podcast, shoot me an email to say, hey, I'm a friend of Kevin's. I bought your book and uh, we'll donate one on your behalf. That's amazing. I appreciate that, and uh, I, I think that's, that's awesome. Uh, you're the first guest
0: to offer something like that, so that, I think that's amazing. i like to see people um, change their lives for the better, um, no matter where you're coming from, what the circumstances. So thank you very much, uh, Ed, for that. That's that's wonderful, sir. Um, is there anything else I could do for you before we wrap up? I mean, your story was absolutely amazing. I appreciate the the... the how genuine you were how willing you were to answer these questions kind of with no filter you know you kind of were able to open yourself up you didn't hold anything back like you talked about before about part of your whole recovery and getting and changing your life was to be honest about your past to Put the ego to the side a little bit, and you really exemplified that today. So, I really enjoyed having you on. This was a great conversation. I mean, you've answered everything I could have uh, possibly asked or anything that I wanted to ask you. So, I appreciate that, Ed. I, I don't realize that you know that um, that is something that's not always easy to come by. Everybody's like, Well, what will they might think about me or what will they do this? You know, that's so hard to overcome. So, to see you do that, man, I, I really commend you for that and thank you for answering all my questions and being with us today. It was a real pleasure having you on.
1: It's been my pleasure, Kevin. Thank you so much. I'm very impressed by your knowledge of, uh, of where, well, the other places I've appeared in my, my work and my story. Yeah, Thank you so you know, much. Uh,
0: just to uh, just to, I'd, I'm going to definitely contact you after the show. I want to send you a link of the show so you can watch it back if you'd like or anything, share it with any of your friends. But also, I wonder if uh, you could reach out to John if you're still in touch with him because I'd like to have him on the show as well. Um, and reason being is I know he works in finance and things like that. Um, and I'd like to get kind of his take uh, on things and uh, talk about finance and some of the maybe he has some investment tips for the audience. I t- often talk about stocks and um, trading and uh, ways to save money, how to become in a better financial situation. So if you're able to, I'd love to uh, have a conversation with John, or uh, maybe if you're able to put me in touch with him because I'd like to have him on the show at some point. If you're still, uh, if you still talk to
1: him, absolutely, I'm more than happy to. If you when you email me, just uh, send me a little reminder if you don't mind.
0: I certainly will do. Well, thank you so much, Ed, for being here. You're a wonderful guest, sir. Amazing story and, and the things that you're doing. I hope you continue to do that and uh, help people, and you certainly did that today by getting people on the – are offering to donate a copy of the book for every purchase. So I will certainly shoot you my proof of purchase, um, but you have an amazing day, sir. Thanks for being on. You're, you're a great
1: guest. Thank you, Kevin. Thank your audience. Hey, take thanks, care, to, thanks to your audience. Yes, it's been my pleasure. Take care, Ed. All right, everybody, so that was uh,
0: Ed there. Got to get rid of my email. Sorry about that. So that was Ed Cressy. I mean, what a nice guy. I mean, interesting story, you know what I mean? He, he I think he offered a lot of insight. Um, please hit that like button on this video if you liked what Ed had to say. Uh, if you like enjoyed the conversation we had, you know, I kind of decided to do things a little bit differently today because typically what I'll do is... You know, I'll prepare a bunch of questions and try to be all proper on doing the interview. But today, I wanted to do something a little bit differently, kind of just do away with all the questions and just have a conversation. You know, that's something that when I got into this podcast, it was about building connections, talking to people, just having a conversation. And I felt like I was able to do that today with Ed, and it also gives a little bit of a validity to me being happy about doing that just get rid of those pre-planned questions and just have a conversation Um so please if you're new here hit that subscribe button please like this video share it with your friends if you know somebody that might be able to um... who are or are, are, are struggling with this type of thing or need help you have a resource here ed is somebody who's been through that he's willing to help and reach out to people so certainly do that uh... i appreciate everybody for tuning in i hope you enjoy the rest of your evening uh... we think we had a great show tonight but everybody take care i will see you guys next week i do want to say before we wrap up i want to apologize to everybody for yesterday's episode there was an issue beyond my control um, that kind of made it where we couldn't record yesterday's episode so i want to apologize to everybody for that but we will be back next monday i don't have a guest lined up for next week i decided that i didn't want i, I like to switch it up i don't want to have a guest on every single week and just bog you down with different guests but sometimes i just want to do commentary videos talk about what's going on in the world kind of give you my thoughts hear from you guys in the comments and in the chat so um we're going to continue to do that so next week we're just going to have a regular old episode we're going to talk about some interesting topics there's some really interesting things going on that i want to get down to the bottom of but i do have some guests on the calendar coming up and i will be announcing those very soon but i hope everybody enjoys the rest of their day thank you for tuning in god bless you all and take care